Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over and start using it now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back, welcome back, Earn Your Leisure, episode 11, uh, we are back, 11 weeks in. Man. Yeah, 11 weeks in, man, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, the support has been unbelievable, uh, thank you for everybody who's tuned in to YouTube, who subscribed it, everybody on Instagram, uh, our growth has been monumental, man. it's more than we could have ever expected. Um, so this week, we got something special, we got something special planned for y'all, we usually save the last segment of each episode for our story time, but uh, this week we, we had to start with it. And um, Rashad, we got a special guest. Let's yeah, talk about yeah, that's it, a fact. So, um, yes, we have a special guest this week. So, if you know, um, story time is usually the last segment of the show. And we highlight entrepreneurs and businesses and like the backstories and interesting stories about business, how they actually got to that point, like how Airbnb got to be an Airbnb and how Google got to be Google. But people like that segment, but they were asking for more relatable stories yeah. and to bring, you know, a business owner 
um, and that is from the community, small business owner success story. So we said we would and we kept our word and that's what we are doing this episode. So we're going to give you the backstory. We're going we're gonna to reverse engineer the show. We're going to do story time first, but it's not going to be over at story time. After story time, then we're going to give you the blueprint. Because this show is about entrepreneurship and business. And we're going to actually give you the full blueprint of what it takes to run a successful business, how you get financing, the day-to-day operations, all of that stuff. And our yeah. guests, we have a very special guest, like I say, we have Derek Falcon. And Derek is a business owner. He has a restaurant and food trucks in Baltimore, Maryland. And if anybody's not familiar, Baltimore has a special place in my heart because I went to school in Baltimore for two years. And if you listen to the podcast, you know that I went to school everywhere in the country. So Hawaii, Florida, Baltimore, Massachusetts. And that's because I used to be an exceptional basketball player. Exceptional? <laughs> Would you, you say, Troy? Um, yeah, you were good, man. You were talented. You were talented. Yes. I wear many hats. <laughs> so, yeah. So Baltimore, shout out to Baltimore. Shout out to Maryland, um, Montgomery County, PG County. Shout out to D.C., shout out to Virginia, the whole DMV. We have love for DMV. So we have Derek, and I'm just going to give the quick – I'm going to start at the beginning and then the end, and then Derek's going to fill in his story. He's going to tell the story time for himself because who can tell the story better than the actual person? So we're going to start – started at the bottom to the top, right? So Derek got out of jail, and six years later – Yeah. Six years later – he has a restaurant and three food trucks that are bringing in. Well, the restaurant alone is bringing in fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a week. Million dollars a year. A million dollars a like year. A million dollars yeah, a year. That's not sure. The year, change. yeah, the year sounds better than a week. <laughs> yeah. So, a million dollars a year in revenue. Okay. That's now, the angle. I, I queued it up. I yeah. queued it up for so, you. So, so now, ladies and yeah, gentlemen, Derek's going to tell his story. It's hey, story time. Here's a little story that must be told. Listen up, gangsters and honeys with your hair done. Best storyteller, thug narrator, my style's greater. All right, so, you know, I started, uh, I guess I would have to say I started in um, in the fitness industry. And then, you know, I started in the fitness industry and I wanted to focus on something that I was more passionate about, which was, at the time, and still is, interior design, fashion, um, music, and food. And I felt like a restaurant was where a place where you could bring all those things together. So, um, me and my brother started in 2014. We got a small space, but we didn't open it up until May of 2015. And then once we opened it up, that space became extremely popular. And it got to a place where, like, the customers would be waiting outside before we even opened. So, we, we clearly came to the consensus that we needed a bigger space. And when I got the restaurant, I got it with the food truck attached to it. So, the restaurant was five grand. Mm-hmm. So, I had the five grand. And they gave me an entryway to the restaurant, which created a relationship with the you know, the woman who had the uh, food truck. So I was like, all right, cool. You know, it's natural for me to accumulate, for me to uh, get the food truck because I'm like, it goes hand in hand with the restaurant. And then that led to the restaurant doing really well and us moving to a bigger space. Once we moved to the bigger space and we were able to really expand our brand, it provided opportunities for us to get the other two trucks. So we're really excited about that. The trucks are a different dynamic than the restaurant, obviously. The restaurant is more of an experience. Mm-hmm. The truck is also somewhat of an experience, but more of a fast, casual appeal to it. And um, it has really allowed me to expand the brand in a very organic, very uh, grassroots type of movement. Because like it's with the trucks... People see you everywhere, and we have the Cracked Egg logo, as you guys have seen it. So the Cracked Egg logo being everywhere creates market share and brand awareness. So for me, I'm, I'm big on um, a wealth strategy and, you know, 
what part am I going to play in the history books in terms of influencing the culture, inspiring the youth, but also making sure that we got some real tangible assets in the midst. So you, so when you started, you actually, all right. So can you talk about a little bit of like, you, so you were in prison, right? Then you yeah. came home and you were living in your dad's basement, right? Yeah, I came home. I was living in my dad's basement. I stayed there for about six months. It allowed me to accumulate the money that I had to invest in the store. So I took a, a huge sacrifice. And I always say, like, you know, happiness is the ability to, to subordinate what you want today for what you really want tomorrow. Like, you know, like you can leave out of here and you want a Benz, but you really want a jet. You know, just stay down until you get what you really want. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of um, a lot of grit and determination as to what I wanted. And I saved and it allowed me to get that first on food truck. That's important because delayed delayed gratification. Hey, about that a lot. Delayed gratification. Yeah. And like you said, you got to stay down until you come up. So... The fact that you were able to stay in the basement, humbling, right? Yeah, yeah. Humbling experience. But you saved your money and you got your first restaurant. You got, and then you yeah. build from there. And that's important, right? It doesn't yeah. happen overnight. Yeah, because a lot of people want to get rich with contingencies. Mm -hmm. Subject upon this. If it looked good this way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Me, I just, I'm an end result type of guy. So I'm not really caught up on how I get there. Like if we leave out of here right now and we try and get in the city, it don't matter who drive. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It don't matter. You know, if a, if a stoplight come, we're going to stop, but we're going to keep going. And I think for me, that's been my determination. Even with the trucks, it doesn't stop there. My plan is four stores nationally, one in San Francisco, one in L.A., one in New York, and maybe one in D.C. or keep the Baltimore one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, all mixed-use property, because that's what we have. We have the mixed-use property side. So, and um, all of them with a mobile with a mobile. Um, uh, presence. So, like for me, I felt like, all right, well, if you got a store and, the, and then that's a brick and mortar, then you got a mobile presence. But then we got product. Like we make our own jam from scratch that we sell. Mm -hmm. We make our own syrup from scratch. You know what I mean? And then you got these products, and then the products can go on a website. So now you have a web presence too. Just activating the streams of wealth within my industry. So I don't really have to do anything else for the rest of my life. I just got to keep milking this. Yeah, master what you have. <laughs> that's that's important. Yeah, yeah. And then we were talking off camera. You said that you you had a substantial amount of money going into business, right? Which is important. So can you talk about that? Like, because a lot of times people financing is important, and they don't have money to start a business. But you saved your money from working as yeah, a yeah yeah. I saved my money, and then like me, I'm real scrappy, so I was willing to do whatever it took. But I had close to a hundred grand when I started. You know what I'm saying? And um, People say, well, how did you, how were you able to do that? Like, you know, I, I saved and I stayed down, meaning like I stayed in my dad's house and then basement for six months. But then, well, my dad and my stepmom's house. And then also, I built my credit up. And then I constantly got uh, um, in credit increases. And I constantly was saving money, just hoarding cash. Like right now, I'm hoarding cash for a big event. I want to do something comparable to like Broccoli City or, you know, Coachella and things like that. So I'm hoarding cash and I'm cultivating relationships. Yeah. yeah, that's always key. But it really ain't, it really is, it's hard, but it's not as hard as we make it seem. But in our culture, we, we refuse to sacrifice. So I've, I've had conversations with people where it's like, oh, you know, I do want the business, but I ain't trying to stay with my mother for a year. Mm -hmm. Oh, you don't want the business. You don't want it. You don't want it bad enough. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want it. When you want it, you're willing to do whatever. You're going to make that sacrifice. Yo, I'm willing to do whatever. You know what I'm saying? So, and I've done it all. Like I say, serving tables, bussing. I like the fact that I really put a lot of grit and sweat into my business because it allowed me to to uh, master all the different positions and the components and elements that go into what makes homemade homemade. 
Um, I got better as time went on because my first restaurant took me six months. The second one took me four. The third one, the Supper Club concept, took me 40 days. Mm-hmm. And then and then what was so sweet about the third one was it took me 40 days because I had partners, too. That, and, and guys like I got a shout out like Randy Poblet and Kevin Vaughn. Because now I was able to get better and better. And that was really perfecting of one's craft. Because like now you go from the first store, me and my brother, six months, to the second store, um, me and my brother, four months. Then like now I got collaboration. So now... We're, even working with Randy and Kevin, working with two other black men, seeing how easier they make my life has inspired me to want more collabs. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, I don't mind reaching out to y'all and just really spreading the wealth because it's, it's enough there if you got purpose. You said something really important about uh, homemade being an experience. Um, you told us behind the scenes that there was a story where you were bringing the food out to people. Right, because that that was something that you were doing in your everyday life, right? Yeah, it was always the the tone, the undertone to the restaurant is always my real life. Everything I do is my real life, you know what I'm saying? And I can't give you anything that's inauthentic. Mm-hmm. So I have to be who I truly am, and that's why, like, the, like you say, the hoodies and you know, wearing like vapor max and stuff like that, yeah. really coming to what we do because we didn't we didn't need entrepreneurs, you know. We were born in the 80s and, you know, that's how we dress. Raised through the 90s. and this is yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah. And now it's a place where the dude in the Vapor Max has employed the guy in the suit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's just yeah. what it is. Stop. Like, you, you'd be surprised. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I think I think that that was important for me, um, being able to build out a brand in a way in which it could be authentic. Yeah. So we went from homemade to the, uh, supper, the club. supper Club. Yeah. So the Supper Club is a continuum of homemade. It's more of a... It's so like you ever watch like a drama that you waiting for next week, like Empire or Power or something right, like right, you just right. wait. So like for me, it took me so long because things had to be authentic. I really had to live things. And when I live things and like for me, I'm a romantic type of guy. So like everything for me falls back to a love story. Like even when I design, when I design, it's a feel. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, this person made me feel this way. And now I'm going to manifest that in a way in which I do a space. It's like a true story. Yeah, this shit is a true story. Yeah. And that's why I was saying. Like, I can't run off and do like a, a sushi restaurant. Yeah. It's not my life. It's not true to who you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not my life. And it's be, it will be forced. And I see so many people, they cast a wide net because they really trying to force it. So you like you know you might call somebody to cut hair like you cut hair oh I cut all type of hair. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So yeah, that was important for me to to kind of narrow it down and keep things out there. All right, all right. Well, so now okay, so now we had the backstory, but more importantly, we're gonna go into the business side of things. How to run a business, how to have a successful business, your day to day operations. As I said, you went from making zero to a million dollars a year in revenue. So now it's like okay, well. How? How does that work? How does that happen? And um, so we about to give you guys some free game. All right. So now we, you know, we told kind of the backstory, but now we're going to go to the day-to-day operations because, like I said, it's one thing to actually tell a story about you have a business and you have a successful business and support the business. Okay, we get that. But people are saying, okay, how do I do this, right? So the first thing, the biggest issue that any entrepreneur, any business, any person, period, but definitely in business has is funding, yeah. financing, right? So you mentioned your story as far as having a certain amount of money when you started yeah. and buying it. So how did you go about funding your operation? Like, what's your personal story for that? Yeah. So for me, it always start with sacrifice and try not to look cute. So like I told you, I stayed with my father for six months. Right. So the six months that I saved my father, I ain't pay nothing. So now I come home, I'm training people, I'm taking cash. I'm mm-hmm. taking cash or personal check. 
I'm training all on by myself. I cut out the middle, man. I accumulated all this money, and now I'm able to, to build out this restaurant, this idea. So that's how I was able to gross the 100 grand, because I'm going through six months of training, and then beyond the six months, now I get a, uh, I get an apartment, but and then I keep my expenses real low. And then I'm still, I'm so I'm, I'm hoarding cash yeah. in preparation of something big. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, Troy, you got a question? So, we, we got the 100,000, and now the, the one of the key parts of business is location, location, location. Yeah, locality. Yeah. So, you are located in what part of Baltimore? I'm located in the Federal Hill Locust Point okay. uh, part of Baltimore, which is directly, like, you can see the harbor from my restaurant. And you chose that location. Why, why is that? Um, I always like to choose um, more affluent white neighborhoods, just to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. The reason why is because I like to come in the neighborhood and kind of... What they call it? Gentrified? <laughs> I like to fuck it up. <laughs> the reason why is because, like, yo, it's not enough of that. So the reason why I got into the brunch because I'm like, yo, I want to do something that's a different model for us because it's easy for them to see me pushing pig feet or chillings or, you know what I mean? But All I wanted right. to do something that's very sophisticated, very elegant. Got a crab shop. Very upper crust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and I always believe in fighting the us. So I felt like I can do it in a white neighborhood. Yeah. I felt like as long as you bring value to the marketplace and you do something that's extremely exceptional, people will come. Yeah. I think one of the brilliant things that you're doing is you specialize in an area, right? Where a lot of restaurants will say they'll try to be everything for everyone mm-hmm. and please every customer that they have. And you guys yeah. are like, hey, we do breakfast and we do lunch and we do it great. And it's a whole experience. I think that's one of the brilliant about Were you guys... Thinking that going into yeah, it. Yeah, I feel like as an African American business owner, you can't you can't cast a wide net mm-hmm. because the whole world isn't your oyster. It's a different piece for you. Okay, you know what I'm saying? It's a it's, it's a total different piece. So for me, I felt like um, I had to speak directly into the voice of the people who I knew would support me, and then you also have to know how to grow your business laterally. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times we go outside the scope of our business and try to reel in people who aren't interested in us. Right. Be interested in the people who are interested in you. So that was easy for me to be able to focus down on a handful of things. Like I know millennial black women not trying to eat avocado toast and sushi all day. Right. You know what I'm saying? But I know that they do partake in that as well. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But for me, it was always about what made sense for the culture and the brand and not trying and doing things with a certain sense of timelessness and a certain level of purpose where I can pass it off to my kids. I'm proud of my, I'm proud of my brand. I'm proud of the uh, storefront. I'm proud of the trucks. And I know that there's something that can be bequeathed. So it's interesting because your your restaurant is only open three days a week, right? Yeah. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah. But you're you're still profitable, right? Yeah. So how are you able to make a profit when it's only open three days a week? Like, can you talk about the actual business model behind it? Yeah, I treat the model. So you know, from the time that I was young, like you kind of guys, I familiarize you with you know my story about when we being young. I always had a model of cutting out the middleman, right? So like, if you take my restaurant, I sell breakfast and brunch. How many times have you been to brunch on a Monday morning? Uh, never yeah. been, yeah, never been. Right, right, right. So, so now I'm in an industry in which seventy percent of my customer base is going to come Saturday or Sunday, right? Right. And then I'm in a white neighborhood, so a lot of my clients I was black, which means that they drove to the restaurant, right? I don't have parking, so you drove, you had to go out of your way, you know. And then from when you finally get in there, you're looking for an experience, and that can't happen in thirty minutes. So, being able to really identify who my customers are and what they want. Allow me to really focus on just a small niche audience. So most people can admit they have a mental brunch on Tuesday, unless you live in LA and you like wealthy and shit. You know what I mean? You got some spare time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like it was easier for me to be able to figure out what really missed. I'm also a several pieces to it. Um, I don't have to cut labor. 
Everybody coming on the same time. Everybody get paid the same amount of thing. Yeah. They can go home. I can kind of gauge the labor in that way. Um, no food goes to waste. We run everything in small batch. And when we're out of things, we're out of things because people understand the concept, right? Yeah. So those things really made sense. And then also, I knew that it would create an allure in the sense that people would want to come there and it would, it would, it would foundationally be a destination place. Yeah. So it's like now everybody got to cram in these two days. For this place that's really remarkable. It's like, so, it's like a limited quantity of Yeah, it. it's limited quantity. Yeah. yeah. That's your threat. Yeah, that's that, your threat. You know, that approach and that model is pretty pretty brilliant. And the fact that y'all is doing it because one of the fastest growing chains in America is called First Watch. It's like mm-hmm. this restaurant chain. And they have a similar model where they specialize just in breakfast and brunch. Yeah. But they're only open from 7 to 2.30. And their thing was like the same thing you said. It's like the work... Uh, quality of it, like everybody loves coming because there's no there's one shift, and yeah. then the employee retention rate is great because people have work like uh, work home balance where they can get home, yeah, it provides pick a, a level of pick their kids up, and they can still make dinner, and everybody loves it. So like that's interesting that you guys are doing because it seems to be a trend that's going to start happening in, in our country. Yeah, and also, um, all right, so because in this show, so a lot of shows I watch on YouTube, like I watch these gurus, quote unquote gurus on YouTube for forty five minutes. And I don't, I don't know what I actually watched at the end of the floor. Like, it's yeah, like, yeah. They, they talk in circles for 45 minutes and then it's like, okay, subscribe to my private YouTube channel yeah, for a premium right. $900 a month or go to my seminar. So it's like, we're going to give you the straight blueprint of how to be successful. Yeah. Whether you take it or not, it's up to you, but we want to give you all the tools that you need to be successful. So can we talk about as far as, um, like revenue, like how how your revenue model actually works. Yeah, because like, right the thing about it is that, especially in the black community, how I see it is that entrepreneurs we have three types of businesses that we always aspire to be. Right? Let's, say, go, so let's, let's, let's do the list: barbershop, hair salon, mm-hmm. number one. That's number one, right? And then clothing store. Yep. And then a restaurant. I don't know why, but everybody is like everybody's dream to have a restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. And it's one of the hardest businesses to actually be successful in. Like yeah. I think like ninety five percent of restaurants. We kind of came to the conclusion that it's a status thing, but I, yeah, so your so model. But yours is actually working. It's working, yeah, and so it's still a status thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, so we're talking about revenue and like how. Yeah. Can you All right. So in the restaurant industry, just specifically in my industry, you have three general costs, which is you have labor costs. You have food costs, and then you have overhead, right? So overhead are the fixed costs, which is the cost of the building, operating expenses, whether it's trash removal, grease removal, uh, gas and electric, your cable, things like that. Those things won't go away. They're fixed, right? And then you have labor costs, which is obviously the cost of having people on staff that can officially execute whatever it is that you want to do. And then you have food costs. Um, so I, I scaled a model in a way in which the profit was already built in. So it was, um, I like to call it winning at the table. So I went at the table. Like, for example, with me, my highest price selling item is the chicken and waffle, but it's the most highly consumed item. Um, a lot of times people who are in the restaurant industry, they tend to sell things because they have an allure to them or they, they look really nice or they think it's going to attract a certain crowd of people, not considering food costs. Mm-hmm. Food costs can really sink the ship if you don't really focus on that. My fixed costs and my labor costs are below uh, the industry standard. So, like, say, for example, let's take a chicken and waffle, for example, right? And I say, all right, it takes me $2 to make this chicken and waffle. And I'll ask a young kid, so what are you selling for? They sell $6. Why? Because that's what I thought I should sell it for. Versus, like, if you take me, I'll take the chicken and waffle at 2 bucks, and I know I want my food cost to be 20%, right? So I times it by 5. So I've already won at the table. Yeah. I don't have to make an assumption. 
But then I might add a $2 margin on it and sell it for $12. Why? Because now you're going to take utensils. You're going to want syrup to go. Yeah. You know, uh, it might be a situation where they might burn your chicken and waffle. And then you got to make another one. Oh, yeah. So you have to win at the table. Um, in my industry, the margin is about 5 to 6% for the owner of what you'll typically make, which you'll typically net. I'm netting them, I mean, 25, 30%. So I'll break the model down. It's real simple. Um, my fixed cost weekly is $700. Between the supper club and homemade brunch, we grows anywhere from fifteen to twenty grand. My food cost is twenty percent. So let's take the twenty grand, which is the higher number, right? So my food cost is twenty percent. That means that four percent, four thousand goes to food, right? I already told you that my fixed cost was seven hundred, right? Which leaves me roughly at forty seven hundred. That leaves me at fifteen three, right? I run a seven man band. I pay all of them a salary. So all seven people get seven hundred dollars a piece, that's forty nine hundred, right? That leaves me with ten grand. Gross. Mm-hmm. By the time net and all that is extracted, maybe I might walk away with seventy five hundred, maybe eight grand. You know, considering that I got state taxes and I also got my personal income tax. So now, how is it that I'm able to make three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year when we only grossing a million dollars? But in a typical restaurant, for me to make three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, I had to gross five million dollars. Right. It's a winning model. Why? Because my fixed costs are lower. Why? Because my, my food costs have already been priced out, so I made sure I went at the table. And then I put all my employees in, on a salary wage, that way I don't get caught up in hourly and dollars. So it makes sense for us, like right now. Blueprint. That's, that's <laughs> yo, all notes yo, just taken. I don't even think I fully appreciate. <laughs> First of all, I want to thank you for saying that because a lot of times people, they don't give the blueprint, right? Or they yeah, don't, yeah, they, yeah. They're, they're like stingy with their numbers or they're like, it's hit, it's hitting secret. So, I want you to fully appreciate That's just the store too. That don't include the trucks. That's not even including right. the trucks. I want y'all to fully appreciate somebody just coming in and laying it on the table, right? Like I said, we I don't know what else we can do. Like we're trying to trying to help yeah. you out as best way we possibly can, but it's important to have a plan. That's yeah. the thing I like when we spoke on the phone. You have a plan in place, mm-hmm. right? Then another quick piece I will advise people to really focus on too is um Play small ball for a while. Don't get so caught up on perception of what people think. So, like, for example, if you were to say, Derek, well, how would you scale your brand if you had no money? Let me give you that, right? So, all right, for example, if I had no money and I had the same food, what I would do is I would do a pop-up and I would do collabs. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Like, say, for example, you guys have a podcast. I'm sure you got to eat eventually. And I would say, well, let me pop up at the podcast, bring some attention to my brand, and I'll make you guys chicken and waffles, right? right? Pop-ups create collabs because now I draw attention to who you are. So the things that you can focus on, which are free, which is your content that you can produce and put out, mm-hmm. right? The image of your brand and the projections and the messages that you convey, and then the relationships that you can create based off of the content that you created, which can allow you to further part of your brand. And that's the reason why I'm here. So now those collabs create situations where now you can generate enough money to maybe not get a restaurant, a brick and mortar, but maybe a food truck, yeah. maybe a cart, and then the cart generates flow. You have to understand that flow is data. So all of the customers who come into my restaurant, yeah. I make sure that they're aware that I have a supper club. I make sure that they connect with me through social media. I make sure I got your phone number, and I make sure I got your email. So now I'm texting you pictures of the chicken and waffle while you at work all day. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And, I, and I'm creating that flow. There's another concept that we execute from time to time called a brunch and go, a brunch pop-up, of which I can show pictures of my meals, right? And I can send them out. I can mass text them. You guys can order them through the cash app, and then you can come pick them up from my house. Yeah. That's a very effective, very efficient, very clean way in which you don't have any waste. You don't have any overhead. You don't have any labor. It's easy to scale the brand that way. Yeah. That, and that's like one of the things, that, again, that... 
we're starting to see the restaurant industry grow to is like these ghost restaurants or these stay-at-home restaurants yeah. where people are making them based on their orders. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And Chick-fil-A actually just created two fulfillment centers where it's just delivery. So yeah. you order and they just ship it to you. Again, it saves money on food costs because we're only making it when somebody orders it. Yeah. Um, and the data, like you said, that's important. Now, the data, yeah, the data, what, what did important. you say again? You said data is, you said something, data is um, information. You said, I said well, I'll, I'll say it to say this. Be interested in the people who are interested in you. So like case in point, you and your wife come into the restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. It's four of you guys. So I've already bought you in. So it's easier for me to sell laterally. Which means that now I can collect data from you and say, look, I know you're interested in a brunch. How would you feel about a supper? How would you feel about a wedding? How would you feel about an event? And then grow your business laterally with the people who are coming in. Mm. I learned at my first store and just being wrong, being real that, you know, I thought I had all these great products and I thought that people needed them. So I will go outside to the people who I felt needed them and they weren't interested. in. But you guys are sitting here right now and you want to. Right. And it's easier for me to be able to grow my brand. Also, in terms of wealth accumulation, it's always easy to grow laterally so that you can accumulate wealth. What do I mean by that? Meaning, like, as opposed to me getting seven stores, I could find seven streams in one store. Right. So now you got to realize that I can I can coach, I can consult, I can speak. I got the restaurant, I got the food truck, I got events, I got the brunch and go. That's seven streams of income. The average millionaire got six to seven streams of income. Mm-hmm. I don't need anything else for me to get wealthy. I just need to perfect the things that I'm doing. Perfect your craft. Yeah, you have it right where you are. All right. So, yeah. yeah so, yeah. all right. So, the next topic we're going to go to is scaling your business and taking your business to the next level. Yeah. All right. So, now you have the um, the back story. You have the current story. We're going to take it to the next level. So, before I even start, we were kind of debating whether we're going to do the last segment on some other stuff that's in the news right now. It's entertaining, but this is more important, right? This is so, like the blueprint yeah, series. We're going we're gonna to get back to that next week. We're going to give you some more entertaining stories next week. But this is something that you can actually utilize in your day-to-day life and be successful and make some money. So we thought that this would be more important to cover for the last segment. So now we're going to go into how to scale your business, right? Because it's one thing to have a business. It's another thing to have a successful business. And it's another thing to have a successful business that can run without you. And can grow into multiple locations and you can actually make some money from because we know that most entrepreneurs aren't really making money. They're struggling, right? Yeah, yeah. So scalability. Yeah. What's your what's your ideas on scalability? All right. So for me, it always starts with the end in mind. You know what I mean? So the only way that you can scale is know where you're trying to go. Always related to like if we get out of here right now, we all going somewhere. Whether it's a red light, whether a deer run across the road, whether it's a stop sign, you continue to go. Mm-hmm. A lot of entrepreneurs are just starting. So it's like you start the ignition up to the car and like now you're waiting. No one's going to give you direction because we don't have any mentors. Speaking from an African-American perspective. Yeah, you know important, so in terms of the scalability of the brand, you have to have a vision as to how you see opportunity in your industry for you to be able to grow in perpetuity. So it always start for me with my grandkids. So like we say, I don't hustle for my first name, I hustle for my last, right? So like, why why get the trucks? Because the stores, I already told you the store model, right? So the the trucks are for my grandkids. Right. So when it comes to scaling your brand, you have to you have to be focused on a handful of things. You have to have low overhead. You know what I'm saying? You have to know how to grow to your brand laterally in a way in which that you can generate multiple streams 
without no more cars. So like, okay, I did the Shepherd Club. So let's talk about the Shepherd Club. Well, if you look at the Shepherd Club menu, right? I got lamb chops, broccolini, and asparagus, right? But it's the same lamb chops that's with eggs and potatoes in the, at the brunch. So I'm not selling anything else. If you don't buy that brunch, I'm going to dim the lights down. You're going to buy it tonight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're not going to reinvent this. <laughs> yeah, so you know what I'm saying? It's like we have to understand what it's going to take. So I think low overhead is key. I think uh, bringing in partnerships, creating partnerships is definitely key for black businesses. If you don't create partnerships, the days of being self-employed and sitting in your house doing someone taxes and thinking you're going to be on a Fortune 500 is over with. Yeah, that's a, that's a very so, yeah, important. Yeah, can you talk about that partnership, yeah. collaboration? That's a, that's a lot of times in our community, we are so hesitant to work with each other because it's like, I want to make it out, I want to make it out, not knowing that. If we look across, like that person's trying to make it too. Yeah, together. like I told you, like with the supper club, it's Randy Problay, who's a partner of mine, and Kevin Vaughn. These gentlemen have come on and um, endured the stresses of starting up something new, but I've gotten better and better too. So constantly challenging myself. Like when I built out the, the first restaurant, it was six months. The second one was four months. I built out the supper club in 40 days. Mm. I'm talking about we had no menu. We had nothing. We just had a general feel and the message that we want to deliver, and we built off of that. So in order for you to scale your brand, it's going to definitely take collaborations, especially if you're black. It's definitely going to take uh, minimal overhead, doing as much sweat equity as you can, to make sure that everything kind of remains intact in terms of financing. But then also coming under the fold of someone who's greater than yourself. Like for me, I'm in a rare space because it's no it's no black five-star restaurants in Baltimore. So I kind of set the standard for what it's to be. But also I have to navigate through a lot of valleys and hills first. Yeah. So like I always equated to like cowboys and Indians where like, you know, the cowboy would look out and all the Indians would shoot him with the bow and arrows. I got to get shot first. Yeah. But I'm willing to do that if it provides a, a gateway or a path for you. So it's more specifically when it comes to scaling businesses, I think that you have to have a plan and a way in which you see yourself in that business years from now. So always think about your grandkids and then reverse engineer. So, like, that's what I do when I solve problems in my business. I don't focus on the, the shit that's good. Like, oh, the food is nice and, yeah. you know, the, the decor is nice. But what about the fact that every week when they say they come here, they feel like the lines are too long? Mm. Or, you know, maybe they all want hot syrup with the pancake instead of just, you know, room temperature syrup. So, I think you got to reverse engineer. So, it all goes into how you see it. So, in terms of my business model, we all know I got the real estate piece. So, it's a mixed-use property. It's commercial downstairs. Yeah, can you talk about that? Or let me talk about that. Okay, okay so... It's real simple with my piece. You know what I'm saying? So I have a mixed-use property, right, which means that it's commercial slash residential. There are tenants upstairs. The tenants pay the rent upstairs. And now I have to deal with the rest of it downstairs, which leaves me with a minimal to no overhead because now you have people who've leveraged the cost. So I speak to entrepreneurs who have a brick and mortar. Yes. Find other ways to use what you already have outside, of, instead of going outside of the scope of what you're doing. Yeah, so like, say... If you have a beauty salon and then you can allow someone to double it and use the space as a barbershop, stop getting so caught up in the thick of really thin things. I call it we major in minor things. So black people, we tend to major in minor things and we make things that are really important. We sit them behind the minor thing. Like, what are people going to think of me versus creating wealth? Right. You know what I'm saying? How am I going to be perceived if I rent my space? It's going to be perceived like I don't got money or the business versus, is not doing that versus the additional income. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe I might not want to just stuff the uh, the lamb chops with lobster this week to save a dollar. You know what I'm saying? So those things are extremely important. How we look is, is extremely, like, it's a very big thing to us. But whereas for me, it was like, yo, when I first started my brand, like I told you, I came into the game with 100 grand, right? Yeah. I could have gotten caught up in ego and been like, well, I'm not going to clear this plate or I'm not going to wash these dishes because this is not what count. But I think the division always allows you to surmount. 
So even when you busting tables, you thinking about I'm gonna have eight locations in ten years. So yeah. what does it matter? Or you thinking about your last name? Think about the long term. Keep the overhead low. Focus on collaborations and get under people who have more knowledge than you. Now that's I just well, just one minute before you go, Troy, because what you said was very important. And I don't want that to go over people's heads. So you're making money from the tenants upstairs, and that's pretty much covering the cost of the restaurant. So that saves you a lot. Yeah, of- the tenants upstairs cover about roughly sixty percent of the note. So that, that's important to understand because you have to find creative ways to leverage. And that's the scaling model in general. So when people come to me and they say, well, Doc, I think you look great in this strip mall, this shopping center. It don't fit the model. Mm. So the only way I could grow my brand is through mixed-use properties that are townhouses or apartments in which I'm at the bottom. That's what that looks like. So now let's, now let's really think about it and break it down. It's no longer a restaurant play. It's a real estate play. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so that's the, that's the key. So some of the things that... Um, People want to know is like, what are the qualities you need to be an owner? Um, so we did a little research and likability is one, being able to multitask, uh, being able to delegate. And one of the most interesting things I, I read was being able to thrive under stressful conditions. And I think that gets overlooked. You want to talk about some of the, sh- the setbacks? Stresses. Yeah, the stresses. The stress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, never, yeah. it's never all good. Never <laughs> no, all it's good. never all good. It's yeah. never all good. Um, For me, yeah. I mean, especially as a black person, because, you know, my restaurant's all black. You know, mm-hmm. the staff is black. Um, we hire any and everyone who's qualified, but I focus on black, you yeah. know, because we need it. Mm-hmm. So they the hardest to work with. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, they the hardest to work with. And the reason why is because we don't have models. So, like, when you have, when you got models, you can buy anything. So I always speak. I, I, I generally, I mentor and I hire mostly young black men. They the hardest to deal with because they don't buy into anything because they can't say, well, well, Derek, your dad is a third generation restaurateur. And we've seen you guys come through the ranks because my dad worked for your dad. And now I can believe in this. Right. But we tend to believe in Nordstrom's because it's 55 or 80 locations and they got billions of dollars and they're going to give you all these wages and all this shit is going to be promised to you. So you tend to focus on today. It's very difficult as a as a black entrepreneur because we get the most resistance from our people. So I'll explain to you how I, what I mean when I say that. Let's talk about consumerism. So that's something that's big to me, right, versus support. Well, I support black business. Well, support is more of a philanthropic thing. So if you see that I'm doing what I'm doing or you decide to cash at me or you, or you know someone that might be in my industry who can help provide an additional service or more mentorship, then that's mm-hmm. support. But if you come to me and you pay for a chicken and waffle because it's great, because you like it, then that's consumption. And we really have to educate the consumers on what consumption really means. Support doesn't mean that because you came to my restaurant and you spent some money, you supported me. Mm. No, because I didn't have to drag you up to support Mercedes. Right. You got a Mercedes outside. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you ain't had to say, oh, you lucky I came in here and supported y'all. You know, <laughs> you know, right? Three years, I'll but, see you again. <laughs> yeah, but with us, is a certain level of like. You owe me. Yeah, you owe me. You know, entitlement. Entitlement comes with it. So with that entitlement, we have to understand what that looks like, too, because, okay, this is another way in which you can scale black businesses, a a robust top line. You got to make sure that you funnel any and every dollar, not just you come by the chicken and waffle, keep doing your thing, bro. I appreciate you, sis. Y'all have a good one. No, really piling that shit on. Your mother birthday, Valentine's Day, your anniversary. Add to your kids' soccer game. Dump it on because it will allow us to make a certain amount of money and then we'll overcome obstacles, we'll surmount mistakes, and we can scale. 
Because, I mean, it really all boils down to sales. Yeah. For real, for real. I can scale. I can have a mediocre business, but if I'm generating a lot of sales, then I can scale. McDonald's. They don't got the best burger you ever had, but they got a system. They got a consistent flow, and scalability looks likely. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Versus your uncle, he make a great burger, but you go once in a while. Yeah. You got to keep going. You got to keep going and going and going and going and going. And you got to also understand that these businesses are in a different place than most businesses. So you're going to have to endure failures as a customer. Like, for example, if I'm working on an iPhone and it ain't working out, I can take that shit back to a research lab and figure it out. Yeah. Versus if I say, look, I'm going to try this new syrup this weekend. It directly goes on your plate and it has a direct effect on you as a customer, which can come directly back to me. So those things are important. A robust top line, a robust top line, and patience. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We want to thank you for um for coming in. Yeah. And to to to, to being so honest and opening up, you know, your playbook, right? Because you yeah. didn't have to do that, right? And yeah. um, this is something like I said with this show, we we taking a unique approach to it where we we really want to educate, you know. And um, I think that entrepreneurship is something that's very important. And even in college, right? Like they don't teach you this certain stuff in mm-hmm. business school and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. to hear it from a real world perspective and somebody that, you know, people can relate to, somebody from the community, somebody from the neighborhood is, uh, it's encouraging. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's also, it's important. It's and, important. And for those of us who are in culinary school and like can't figure it out, like this is, we built this, you built this from the ground up. Yeah. yeah. Right? There was no formal school that you went to, right? Yeah. You built this from the ground up from based off experiences. Yeah. Um, and one avenue just resonated into another one. You know what I mean? Yeah. One medium, you took some some ethics and some some morals and you brought it to a different one. And, and that's powerful. And it's all I'm not to cut you off, but it's also can be related to any business, not just restaurants, right? right? So we're talking about the restaurant business today because you own a restaurant. But the business model and the ideas and the general principles of business can be applied to anything. Like you mm-hmm. said, whether it's a hair salon, whether it's a restaurant. Whether it's a sneaker store, no matter what it is, you see, I just named those three different things that I talked about before, right? No you matter you what, added a sneaker store. That's stuff. a clothing store. So no matter what it is, it can be applied to. So that's something that's important. And you gotta respect the entrepreneur too, because like I, that's another thing I don't really feel like I touched on enough. Like black people, you know, I'm just I like to speak to them. <laughs> yeah, so black people, like you know, from the consumption side, understand what it looks like when a black person is establishing a business or entity and what it's going to take for you to grow them. But more specifically, young black people who work for black people mm. know what that takes to be able to build out that brand. Dedicate your sweat equity to those companies because they need you more than the white entities. Right? We talk about it all the time. Ruth Chris rich enough. Nordstrom's rich enough. Macy's rich enough. So it's so crazy because like when you're speaking about the culinary school, the young black kids come out the culinary school, they want to work for the fucking Four Seasons. Mm. And you like, yo, you ain't never think to allocate even my customers. My customers come in the store, right? Your son will, will come out of culinary school. You'll let him work for the Four Seasons. But your cousin who getting out of jail, you pull me straight up. <laughs> you pull me straight up. Yeah, look, man, just to let you know, you know, my cousin just got out of the joint. He need a job. Yeah. But what about your daughter? She got a master's degree. She need a job. Yeah. Nah. It's a fact. Yeah. Nah, it's a fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she need a job. Yeah. Stop sending our... Uh, in some cases, I would say worst potential at your best talent because we don't do that with LeBron and all that. When we see that a young black kid is he's 15 years old and he's 6'9 and he could dribble. We got to make sure he Yo, we, 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 we clamoring like, yo, keep him out of trouble and make sure he get home. Yeah. But when you see the young black entrepreneur who's 20 years old who's selling nachos, you know, like my young man Keller from Nacho Bang, he's selling nachos, you throw him to the walls. Yeah. Oh, you know, my cousin, my uncle, my crackhead uncle, can he sweep the steps up? 
No, stop doing that because they do that all the time. They tend to undermine the value of our entrepreneurs where and essentially our entrepreneurs and our creatives are the future. Because I don't give a fuck how high he could jump. Eventually he gotta retire. I don't give a fuck how fast he runs, somebody gonna run fast. That business is forever. It could last in perpetuity. The duration of a business can go on for generations. Right. It could go on for decades. So a person could do business up until the time they 85, 90, we still got 90 year old CEOs and shit. Like Al Davis who ran the Raiders until he was like fucking 90, so then he died, died right? Yeah, then like a died. Jerry Jones. That shit go on forever. Yeah. So, you know, the musicians, the creatives, um, um, the entrepreneurs, they have to be supported the same way the athletes are supported. I'm not taking anything away from the athletes, but to me personally, I feel if my son could read and he could, he could, he could assimilate information and he could impart that information out and he could get his ideas out to the world that he could make more money than LeBron James. He could create more opportunity for people than LeBron James and he could give more back. Cause that's not really talked about either. That, that whole, yo, what it look like to work for the black man? What it look like to be the black man who owned it? And then what it look like to consume from the black man? Eight, three different perspectives. That's a fact. It's a fact. We're going to have to do a, 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 a yeah, yeah, follow up. We're going to have to do a follow up. We can go, yeah, we can go, on, yeah, we can go on, on all day. Yeah. But, but now, nah, once again, man, we want to thank you for coming in. We, we appreciate you coming. Um, and yeah, we want to encourage everybody to, um, A, keep hitting us up. Cause this is an example. Like I said, we, we, we said we was going to bring on entrepreneur, highlight a business, um, that you could support. Um, in real life, right? And um, so, A, make sure you support the business. Can you just tell the people the information? for? Yeah, so um, the name of the restaurant is Homemade, H-O-M-E-M-A-I-D, and we're on social media under Homemade underscore. Uh, we're located at 1400 Key Highway in Baltimore, Maryland, 21230. The hours are uh, Friday from 6 to 11. We run a supper club. We run a brunch. On Saturday morning from 9 to 4, which we run a supper following that from 6 to 11. And then we also have another brunch on Sunday, which is a really big deal. This whole city come up. So, yeah, so yeah. if you're in Baltimore, if you're in, if you're in D.C., if you're in the area, show your love, man. Stop by. Mm-hmm. Show us your social support. Man, I'm definitely yeah, going to yeah. come through. Yeah, we're going to be back in Baltimore yeah, 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 very yeah, soon. Yeah, that's yeah. a fact. That's very a fact. soon. Yeah. Before we wrap it up, though, I want to talk about um, the merch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't forget the merch, guys. Like I said, we have new merch up. We have dope shirts, hoodies. V-necks for the ladies. We got all kinds of stuff. Dad hats. Dad hats. We got them in a few colors. A Camouflage. Few, somebody can put. They were like, yo, I need one in white. So, you know, it's nothing for us to just add the, the color. Now it's so. important. And especially, like I said, in our culture, we make statements by what we wear. Right. So we complain about Gucci. We complain about all these clothing companies that we know don't care about us. So why don't we make statements with our clothes as well? So all of the clothes has financial literacy on it. So you talk about like hustle for your last name. That's one of the shirts. Hustle for your last name. I got the assets over liability shirt. Troy has a signature shirt. So it's always something. It's going to be yeah. a message in the, in the, the clothing. So make sure you support that. And then also our Patreon. You want to take a minute? Yeah. About Patreon. Uh, like I said, we got some, some new features that are going up on there. Um, a new a topic that we're going to be doing called hometown heroes, uh, where we're going to be highlighting some people, um, who are doing things, uh, in your hometown or in our hometown. Um, we got some people up there already. I told you our goal is to reach 100. And then when we get there, we're going to start calling people to have an hour conversation with them. We're going to choose five people from our page, our Patreon page. So keep checking that out. Keep supporting that. Um, keep subscribing to our YouTube. Uh, we're doing, we're doing all right on YouTube. YouTube. Now, yeah, yeah, we do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Subscribe, subscribe to the YouTube though. Yeah. And yeah, the Patreon is, um, Nipsey Hustle, right? He's, He's a he's our guy. He's our guy. Yeah. So um, he had a campaign called <laughs> called Proud to Pay, right? Where we're gonna give you the information for free, but 
if you would like to financially support the podcast so we can travel to different cities and we can bring on other entrepreneurs and we can do different things that we want to do, it's a way to, to be proud to pay and financially support us and financially support the podcast. Not, it's not supporting us, it's supporting the podcast. Right. So we can spread the message of financial literacy to the world. Yeah. And but you know what we, we, we haven't done and we should have. Um, there's some people behind the scenes who, who work on our podcast as well. Oh, that's a fact. So let, let's give them a little bit of time. So shout out to Sid. You know, uh, Matt, he does all the magic. He makes them yeah, sound yeah, great. Yeah, there's no podcast without. That's a fact. That's <laughs> a fact. <laughs> shout out to Sid. That's a fact. Shout out to Larry, uh, Mike, uh, Bam. Uh, so those guys behind the scenes that are working to make this thing, you know, take off. And that's, they, that's important to say. We don't want them to go unnoticed. You can't. Nothing great is ever done by yourself. Right. And we talked about collaboration. Like it's important. You can only go so far. I used to play sports, so I'm big on team. You can only go so far as an individual. You have to surround yourself with good people and you have to be humble enough to be able to work with good people. So, yeah. yes, there's no podcast. You see me and Troy, but there's no podcast without the other three gentlemen that he just named. And there's no podcast without you guys yeah. actually tuning in and supporting us. Yeah. So yeah. we appreciate it. Before we leave, I say a book that I, um, I, re- I read or I'm reading. So. My book tip of this week is 48 Laws of Power okay, by Robert, Robert Greene. I've read that book three times. <laughs> very, very good book. You've read that book before? Yeah, yeah, I read that. Yeah, I figured you did. Did you, yeah. you didn't read it? I didn't read that. I, I had my book, um, which is uh, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. That's another good book. Okay. Um, another just good just book. because uh, I'm working on something right now in the school district where we're going to be combating um, that uh, school to prison pipeline. School so. to prison pipeline. We gonna we got something special about that for sure. Yeah. So, all right, guys, thank you for rocking with us. Another episode, another monumental episode in the books. Hopefully, you guys learn something that you can apply to your real life. And we will see you guys next week. Peace. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.